Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. This is Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And it's time for us to conclude, at least so far, the story of Twitter. We started in the last episode with a description of how the company, uh, well, really how the product started, and then how the company started around it, Mm -hmm. and kind of giving a, a hint of how it was rising to prominence. Uh, we left off toward the end of 2008, so we're picking up in January 2009, which was an interesting story. The first major news story scooped by Twitter. Yeah, a photo from the scene of the, the U.S. Air airplane that had crashed in the Hudson River off of New York City was shared on Twitter before the major news outlets began covering the story at all. Um, and, and that was a scoop by Twitter user Janice Crumbs, uh, Jay Crumbs, who sent the tweet, um, quote, photo link. There's a link to the photo. And then... There's a plane in the Hudson. I'm on the ferry going to pick up the people. Crazy. Yeah, I remember that story, too. I mean, obviously. It was oh, those, sure. Uh, and and it was dramatic, you know, hearing all about that kind of unfolding on Twitter before anyone could could cover it. Again, it really showed the potential power of this service. Absolutely. Um, At the time, the company still only had 29 employees, which was a, an increase of by by 21 employees from about two years previous. But still, it was it was a small, small endeavor. Yeah. relatively. Yeah. When you sit there and think about how many people were using the service to think that only 29 people were in charge of keeping it going might have also explained a little bit about the frequency of the fail whale. But at any rate, in April 2009, Mike Massimino made the first tweet from outer space. But he wasn't like con. I just. Think of that whenever I think of space. No, his message was from orbit. Launch was awesome. I am feeling great, working hard and enjoying the magnificent views. The adventure of a lifetime has begun. There were a lot of exclamation marks in that, too. To, to be fair, he was in space. He I was mean, in space. That I would use exclamation points even more than I already do if I were in space. Yeah, I think I think you would just hear me shouting exuberantly. And there'd probably be some expletives in there, but joyous expletives. Would you hear you shouting from space? It de- if I'm actually in space, then no. But that's an entirely different podcast where we can talk about why you don't hear in space. <laughs> At any rate, in May of 2009, the billionth tweet was sent. Um, and no, I have no idea what it was. And I'm still guessing it was something about lunch. Yeah, lunch. Yeah. That's a good guess. You know, it's statistically, either, it's likely either lunch or someone complaining about some other social networking service that those those are two safe bets with Twitter. Um, and as much as I joke about, obviously, I love Twitter. I, I wouldn't have made 15,000 of the tweets. <laughs> uh, in early June 2009, Twitter introduced verification. Now, this is another one of those little controversial subjects. The idea was that it was to verify certain high-profile Twitter accounts. Celebrities, basically. Yeah, so that people would know that this is actually that person. It's not some Or their fan. marketing team and, and not right. someone pretending to be them. Right, yeah. right. It might be, it might technically be someone pretending to be them, but on an official capacity, <laughs> right? Right. Like it might be someone's handler who is in charge of the Twitter feed and they have to tweet like three times a day or something. But, you know, it was really meant to let people feel more secure that the person they were following was actually who they were following. But it became kind of a weird sort of semi-status symbol, the idea being if you're that you're big enough to, big enough to be verified. verified. Yeah. And I mean, I've got a lot of friends in the technology space who have verified accounts. Sure. You know, I don't. Me neither. Uh, Lauren doesn't. So I don't know what 
is holding you up, Twitter. Uh, we are important. I mean, Clearly. I'm getting a little choked up, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I realize that there's nothing that comes along with verification other than the sense that you, your life means something. And self-worth or pride. Right. Uh, now, obviously, we're, we are making light of this, but there, there's been some confusion around verification as well, because I, I know that there have been at least some accounts that were verified and then through some means became unverified. Huh. Um, there are also cases of companies like uh, companies actually buddying up to Twitter. And at least this is the this is allegedly I don't know if this is actually true, but allegedly some companies paying a good amount for Twitter uh, uh, promoted tweets, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, and then in return, they end up getting verified accounts for all the people who work for that company. Oh, huh. uh, hmm. So uh, and there's some people who have turned down verification because they were afraid it would hurt their Twitter street cred. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Me neither. At any rate, to be more serious, in June 2009, Twitter was being used by Iranian citizens to communicate during anti-government protests. It was called the Twitter Revolution, and that would lay the ground for later uses of Twitter in political uh, statements and, and, and anti-government statements around the world, uh, probably most notably in 2011 with the rise of the Arab Spring, right. which was a series of revolutions in the Middle East and Africa. So... Twitter is now being used as a means of communication when other more official lines of communication are inhibited. Are, e- are either down or right or, or being purposefully blocked. Right. So, I mean, again, this this is really showing that Twitter is a powerful tool beyond this kind of, you know, superfluous, silly use that a lot of people said. Mm-hmm. That's all, you know, people on Twitter just waste time. But no, it was really being an Useful. instrument of change. Sure. Absolutely. Um Dick Costolo joined the company as the new COO. Um, he had formerly worked as an exec for Google, uh, like many of our other Twitter founders, mm-hmm. uh, although I guess they weren't always, always execs, but had previously worked for Google. Um, and was uh, Costolo was a co-founder and or the CEO of FeedBurner for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another popular uh, service at the time. And then also at that time in 2009, co-founder Jack Dorsey co-founded another company, a company called Square. And I, oh. I, we should probably cover that at some point because it, oh, it's something that's really changed small businesses. Oh, yeah. Um, so Square, for those who don't know, it's a credit card processing service. And you can use one of those little gadgets that hooks into. Yeah, it's like a little swipe dongle that yeah. if you've ever seen someone with a with a little white square shaped dongle attached to their phone that swiped their credit card on it. Yeah. That is what that is. Yeah. So it, it is that hardware and the software that works together so that you can process credit card payments. And it's really savvy. It's for it's for a relatively small transaction payment. And uh, and I think that they send you the dongle for free at this point. So. Yeah. And it ended up being. Anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll say. A decent success. Mm-hmm. Square has Square has certainly done very well. So uh, Jack Dorsey continues to uh, make some pretty big splashes in the technology world. February 10th, 2010, that's when Twitter usage hit 50 million tweets per day. Oh, my goodness. So according to Twitter employee Kevin Well, the daily increase from 2008 to 2009 in frequency of tweets was 1,400 percent. Oof. And uh, they said that the service was averaging 600 tweets per second. Uh, 433 of those were coming from Arrington, Michael Arrington. That's just a joke. Please don't come after me, Mr. Arrington. <laughs> April 2010, 
That is when Twitter launches promoted tweets, but on a very limited basis. Uh, right. They, they Promoted tweets are those tweets that companies can pay to push into many different users' feeds, even if that user doesn't follow the company's account. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cool things about promoted tweets is that if it's not performing well, if people are not retweeting and interacting with it, then they'll pull the tweet from the promotion feed. Right. So that way... If you haven't checked your your Twitter feed in a little bit and it's they've already pulled it, you're not going to see that. It's not going to clutter things up. But if it's something that a lot of people are interacting with, then presumably you could be interested in it and mm-hmm. it might end up uh, being something that you you then interact with. The idea being that everyone wins in this situation, right? Right, right. It's content that was already on Twitter, that was already going to be on Twitter. And, th- and this was p- a huge part of the contribution that Costello was making to the company at the mm-hmm. time, wherein he was going like, no, there are ways to monetize this. And this was kind of the, the initial solution for getting some money into this company, other than from pure investment funding. Right, because you can only do that for so long before investors say, Hey, I'd like some of that back. Yeah. How is this an investment and not a charitable donation? Right. Right. And that, I mean, that was a big question. Yeah. You know, this is 2010 we're talking about. Remember, the service was launching around 2006 and 2007 was when it got big in at South by Southwest. Years have passed. And this is the first time we start seeing a real move to monetization. That was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, They would go on to launch promoted trends and promoted accounts later in 2010. Right. And they did have some specific rules about promoted tweets. They the companies could only promote their own tweets. Uh, so if I am a fan of Lauren's company and I send out a message about how awesome Lauren's company is, she couldn't promote my tweet about her company. Right. Uh, and that's mostly in the United States due to the Federal Trade Commission having a ban on commercial appropriation. Uh, and if you're wondering what the difference is between that and Facebook's thing, where they can advertise which companies your friends like, like capital L like on Facebook mm-hmm. to you in order to tell you about that company, that's different because they're only saying that this person has expressed an interest. It's not appropriation of actual content. Right. They're not taking something that your friend has written and then presenting it to you as an ad. They're just saying, hey, your friend likes this. You like your friend. Don't you also like this by the transitive property of like? <laughs> By the way, that doesn't always work. My that friends like some really terrible stuff. I agree entirely. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, you know, it, this is probably really obvious to many people listening to this who are in, in Internet industry kind of jobs. But I mean, you know, running a really popular website is not free. It's that you have to you have to keep up its servers. There's a lot of equipment involved. You have to engineer all of its software. There's electricity bills. I mean, if your servers start to get toward the end of their useful life, you have to replace them. I mean, mm-hmm. there are it's material not just costs. Staff. Right, yeah, right. yeah. So obviously this was a big, big step for Twitter and a very important one. Um, uh, another one of those things um, th- that also happened in April of 2010, the company announced that they would be collaborating to preserve tweets with the Library of Congress. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's after a six month delay. Tweets are submitted for internal library use, non-commercial research, public display by the library and uh, general preservation. Yeah, that that terrifies me to know that someone can go and do research about all the stupid jokes I've made about various science fiction films. And but I, I, I couch them in the way that sounds like I'm saying something really important. Not that <laughs> I've done that, say, on this very podcast, <laughs> like in the last episode twice. 
but yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it was it was kind of a big deal. And the same day, actually, I'm, I'm sure that the two were related. Google announced Google Replay, which is a search function that lets you see what was being publicly tweeted about on any given day in history. I mean, any given day in history back to the company's origins in 2006. Although but, that hasn't stopped some some really enterprising people creating some amazing joke Twitter accounts of historical figures as if they had been tweeting this uh, whole time. Chaucer Doth tweet is one of my favorite things. Oh, that's a good one. There's also some, who was it? I want to say it was, um, it was, there was a, a Twitter feed where it was going through a journal of, I think it was John Adams and tweeting the journal entries that he made because he made very short ones. Oh my goodness. Uh, and they tweeted it. Yeah, my... In time with, in, <laughs> in the calendar year as the same as the journal entry, which was really cool. Yeah, that's an amazing, that's an amazingly nerdy history project. And then there was like Romeo and Juliet that did the whole play through tweets. I actually don't want to see what Romeo or Juliet's Twitter feeds would have been like. I, I think I'm too old for that. I, I totes love you was, Aww. that was, you know. Except in iambic, I hope. I hope that it was at least in iambic <laughs> pentameter, right? Uh, I'm, I want to say yes. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> at any was, rate there, were, there were a lot of people using Twitter in very creative ways uh, whenever they could, because Twitter was still occasionally experiencing uh, uh, periods of high usage that interrupted service, like little sporting events that happened the summer of 2010. Uh, like the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, a little thing called the World Cup. Yeah, it, this this wreaked havoc on Twitter this year. Um, tweets per second hit over 3,000 when Spain shot that winning goal. Uh, spoiler alert. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. If, you're, if you're going back and watching the old World Cup from 2010, <laughs> we, we're sorry that we ruined it for you. Our bad. Um, the, the, the peak of tweets per second for the whole cup was, was 3,283 per second. Um, it, it's engineers, Twitter's engineers were basically not leaving work that entire time in order to continually implement emergency expansion features only to have all of their implementations be immediately overwhelmed. Yeah, so they're building out extra capacity and that capacity gets filled as soon as it's available. Yeah, um, and this was sort of the officially unofficial or unofficially official point at which Twitter got really serious about making that whole fail whale thing obsolete. Right, the idea being to build out so much capacity that uh, barring any serious electrical problem or some other massive equipment failure, it just was not going to go down. Mm -hmm. So August 2010, uh, Twitter also launched Fast Follow for cell phone users in the United States. Uh, this allows anyone to receive tweets on their phone via SMS, even if they don't have a Twitter account, um, which is a really interesting feature because it, it, it shows that Twitter was keyed into the fact that people were using this in um, in emergency situations as part of political protests mm -hmm. uh, in, in other areas where, you know, it's really difficult to get news out to people and crowd control can be incredibly important. And so so, you know, that's fascinating to me that, that Twitter was aware that it was, you know, that, that, that a they were they were trying to make money. Um, you know, they, they were going to corporations like McDonald's and whatever and mm -hmm. and soliciting money from for, for advertising from them and also working with the Library of Congress and also building out this kind of SMS stuff, you know, that they their web client had been live for a really long time at this point. I, mm -hmm. I think that most people were using Twitter on the web rather than I certainly or, or, or on or on apps at this point. Right. Rather right. than via SMS. But yeah. they were still supporting features for that original SMS space. It's it's interesting because, you know, the original approach was making it SMS centric. Uh, 
And it's just that by the time I got to know it, I was thinking of it more of as a, a web thing than an SMS thing, oh, mostly sure. because I didn't want to have to pay a whole lot of extra money for tons of, of text messages. Yeah. Here's the thing about the United States in case some of our, our listeners in other places may not be aware of this, but the policy for a lot of the uh, telecommunications companies here is that you pay for text messages, not only that you send out, but that you receive. Right. So if you don't send a lot of text messages out, but you get a lot because you have a lot of friends who just they love to text uh, and, and it goes over your limit, you are the one who pays for that. Actually, they might be paying for it, too. The, you can get some double dipping in this. Even if both of you belong to the same uh, the same provider, you might end up having both people charge for all these texts. And so that was a problem, you know, for people who want to use Twitter that way. Uh, but I, someday I'm going to do a full episode about some of the crazy differences in the way telecommunications companies operate in various countries. Because I know there are some people from other countries when they hear about that, I'm like, wait, I have to pay to, if I receive too many texts, how do I control that apart from threatening people who text me? <laughs> my, I found that that's pretty effective, to yeah, be fair. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. If you develop a certain type of personality, you can, uh, you know, cultivate that kind of behavior around your friends, but. Um, yeah. So anyway, tangent aside, let's get back to the history. So October 2010, we see another big change in executive management. Uh, right. Costello would transition at that point from COO to CEO, right. um, replacing Evan Williams. Yep. He who... says uh, he'll be concentrating on product strategy. Yeah. I don't know really necessarily what that means other than just, you know, here's some more stuff we want Twitter to do, y'all. Anyway. It was what... stepping down from that public kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Having someone who, I mean, Costello, obviously, with his uh, his focus on monetizing Twitter, had really started to transform the company already. So it was time for that transition to go from let's build the service up to let's really make this a company. Right. And uh, we've got a lot more to say. But before we do, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right. So now we're up to March of 2011 and Twitter is um busy. Uh, yeah, Twitter users are at this point sending a billion tweets per week. And keep in mind that it's only been two years since the billionth tweet period was sent out. Right. So now they're matching that every week. Uh-huh. So it took, it took that many years to get to a billion and now we're seeing that on a weekly basis. Yeah. The average number of tweets sent per day have nearly tripled in the past year. And uh, Twitter's got a few more people than 28 folks working for it now, right? Uh, about 400. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, uh, Jack Dorsey's title changes to executive chairman. His focus is also on product development. Uh, and according to an article in the New York Times, no one at Twitter directly reports for Dorsey, hmm. perhaps lending some credence to those those um, employees who said that he was not the easiest man to work directly for. Sure. So he may still be doing quite influential work at Twitter, but he doesn't have a team reporting to him. Uh May 2011, Twitter acquires TweetDeck, and boy, did that get some people riled up, because here's the other thing that Twitter, you know, we, we mentioned in the previous episode, I think, that Twitter has is known for taking ideas that people have created on Twitter and then incorporating it directly into the service. Uh, yeah, that's what TweetDeck was. It yeah. was um, a, a dashboard app that had been developed starting way back in 20, 2008 by a London programmer named Ian Dodsworth. Mm-hmm. So once again, we see Twitter saying, that's a brilliant idea. Let's buy it and make it part of ours. Another thing is that, you know, Twitter has been very uh, careful about other services coming out that could take 
traffic away from Twitter. Right. And, but using the Twitter, the Twitter service as its foundation. And, uh, you know, some people see it as anti-competitive. Some people see it as being, um, uh, harmful toward developers. Some people just see it as a company that's trying to make the best product it possibly can. There are a lot of different sides to the story. And personally, for me, it's a case by case basis. There's sometimes where I just think, oh, but I really liked using that thing that now I don't know if it'll exist anymore. Uh, so it ends up being almost it's it's like a, a matter of bias. So I won't really weigh in. I will say I use TweetDeck a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we both use to keep up with everything. It's incredibly Especially useful. at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you have more than one Twitter account that you follow, for example, I have my own personal one. Lauren has her own personal one. And we both also oversee the Tech Stuff HSW Twitter account. Mm-hmm. So if you ever see a tweet from Tech Stuff HSW, it's either Lauren or it's yours truly who's making that. We're the ones who handle that. We don't have a handler. We've asked. No one wants. <laughs> no one wants to handle us. So... It's just us at this point. So, yeah, but anyway, TweetDeck really lets you use multiple accounts and oversee them and manage them and even post as different ones very easily. Oh, sure, sure. Um, Also in May 2011, another really famous tweet was tweeted. Oh, yeah. Twitten. Yeah, Twitten. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, the, this one was helicopter hovering over Abbottabad at 1 a.m. In parentheses, is a rare event, close parentheses. Uh, so this one came from a fellow named Sohaib Attar, who was uh, not, he didn't realize at the moment, but he was actually live tweeting the raid on Osama bin Laden's hideout. Oof. Yeah, so this was how the news broke to the public. And then, of course, later the news was more officially released. But it, and, it, and at first, no one was aware that this had any significance to it other than some sort of military exercise happening in that area of the world. But as the uh, details were starting to come out, people realized, wow, this guy, this guy was there when it happened. And it was another example of how Twitter can be a tool to to report world changing news as it's happening. And it turns everyone who uses Twitter into a reporter. Right. So big deal. Uh, making it kind of easier to do that. In June of 2011, uh, Twitter struck a deal with Apple to integrate the service into iOS 5. Um which meant that uh, you could you could automatically integrate Twitter into a bunch of of a bunch of apps. Period. A bunch of native iOS apps. Um, yeah, which can the be the phone's both, camera, yeah. the YouTube app, stuff like that. Maps. Um, and it also gave third party app developers the ability to code out similar properties. Just just making it easier to to use the service. Yeah, to share stuff. I think it's an interesting development, especially in the way that that Twitter is used. Yeah. Um, and 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 specifically considering that it, it was circa this time a little bit earlier. I mean, especially once TweetDeck really picked up that the ability to filter your feed, like filter keywords sure. out of your feed started to be a thing. It's also interesting that uh, it, we start seeing Twitter being used as a sign in authorization service, kind of right. similar to the way Facebook is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of other services that, again, kind of glom onto Twitter, like clout is a big one, you know, right. where you yeah. sign into clout. <laughs> in case you couldn't hear it, Lauren was rolling her eyes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I still check my cloud score, but I'm with you. I, I have, I have very, oh, we should, we should do, have you guys done? Did you, did you and Kristen? I an think we talked, we did an episode where we talked about clout and we talked about what it was and, and, uh, you know, how, what it was intended to do. At any rate, it, again, it demonstrates that Twitter was 
becoming really big because other other companies were using Twitter as their way of creating a service mm-hmm. that was really compelling and could make it money. It was widespread enough that that was a useful feature. Yep. So September 2011, that's when Twitter added SMS functionality by allowing users to tweet a photo via text message. Uh, yeah, and this, this again, might be one of those things that doesn't sound like a huge deal to lots of people who tune in here and therefore probably have really good access to the Internet. But um, but it's a really terrific accessibility tool yeah. in terms of, you know, not needing to have Wi-Fi or or, or a special app. Right. I mean, you could have a feature phone that has a camera on it mm-hmm. and be able to use this. And, you know, there's some feature phones out there that don't support any apps. They don't have an, an OS that can run apps. So if you're able to take a photo with your phone, but you don't have any way of having an app on it, this would be a way of sharing that photo. So it's definitely an accessibility feature. Uh, sure. Um, in November of 2012, I believe that the, the most tweeted message... In, in history thus yeah. far, I don't think that anything's beat it yet. No, as far as I can tell, the most retweeted message of all time came from November 2012. It came from a certain uh, Barack Obama. You might have heard of him. Yeah, and it said four more years and was retweeted more than 800,000 times. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as far as I can tell, there's been no message retweeted more. As of the recording of the podcast that we're doing right now, I mean, if... If Justin Bieber sends out a one-word message that says deported, first I'm going to be amazed because that shouldn't happen. That's not even possible. And second, I could see that getting retweeted a lot. Uh, but so far, that's the top one. So December 2012, Pope Benedict XVI launched the first papal Twitter feed. And Pope Pope's Francis, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, Pope's on Twitter. Yeah. And Pope Francis continues to use it. So. Yeah. Uh, the Catholic Church getting uh, hip with the uh, the social networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, in January of 2013, January, January 24th, to be precise, uh, Twitter would launch Vine, that six-second video app. Yeah, I remember when this first came out, I was like, what? Six seconds? Who can say anything in six seconds? Uh, it's, that's like only having 140 characters. Uh, to be fair, again, there's nothing I've ever said that's only taken six seconds. So... For those of us who are incredibly verbose, it is hard to imagine a, a good use for this service. However, that hasn't stopped people from finding really creative ways. Like I've seen some amazing vines out really there. Really good storytelling. Oh yeah. yes. You think like when you're, when you're limited to six seconds, it's kind of like that whole rule about, you know, novels versus short stories, right? When you, when you know you have a limit to how much space you have, every moment counts. And if you can get it time just right, you can have phenomenal short stories. You know, and it's weird to call them a story when it only lasts six seconds. But if it, but it can be, yeah, if it makes you laugh or makes you scratch your head or something, if it gets a response from you, then that that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. April 2013. OK, so this is another serious uh, example. And we actually talked about this in a sister podcast, um, the Forward Thinking podcast. Right. Because uh, on Forward Thinking, we were talking about how on the stock market, more and more computer algorithms are taking up the large majority of trading on the stock market yeah, and through through high frequency trading. Right. Yeah. And some of them are even able to react to uh, stuff that happens in the news. And this is an example of one of the things that happened in the news that was a fake story that made a huge impact. So the fake story was planted by the Syrian Electronic Army, which hacked into a Newswire account, an uh, the, official account, the, the, the AP's account, yeah. the Associated Presses. So big times. Yeah. Now, Associated Presses. 
one of those services that other news services rely upon to get breaking news and then they report it further out. So AP's official Twitter feed sends out a message that says breaking two explosions in the White House and Barack Obama is injured. Now, the story was completely bogus. Oh, right. Of course, that never happened. But that tweet caused a lot of I mean, obviously caused a lot of commotion, including a, a serious dip in the stock market. Mm hmm. To, because these algorithms saw that and based on that, uh, changed their, their trading methods. Yeah. Dramatically as it turned out. Now, granted, uh, most of the ground that was lost in that, that commotion would be gained back over the next day or so. Over the course of the following day. Yeah. However, it just shows the, the kind of power that, that Twitter has that, um, that, that even in world money markets, people had begun using this service to trade information. Yeah. Pretty phenomenal. Summer of 2013, that's when we say goodbye to a, a dear old friend. Yes, Twitter officially retired the fail whale. Um, it, it, it didn't really need them so much anymore. Um, they had the capacity thing pretty much worked out at that point. Uh, the, the artist, uh, Yi Ying Lu even created a success Loch Ness graphic for the team. It, it was kind of a controversial decision, actually. A lot of people kind of miss the fail whale and have complained about it having gone away. And Chris Fry, in response, the the senior VP of engineering at Twitter, said in an interview with Wired in November of 2013, and I quote, it had a long history and some of our users feel very connected to it. But in the end, it did represent a time when I don't think we lived up to what the world needed Twitter to be. Yeah. So, I mean, you miss it in the sense that it was kind of a cute little thing that also was Anytime the fail whale popped up, it was almost a marker of something socially significant. You knew that something. Yeah. Every time I saw it, I was like, is it just a Thursday or is something yeah. crazy going on? Right. No, that that's that's fair. Sometimes it wasn't anything socially significant. <laughs> it was just that Twitter had a hiccup. It was but, just people were getting out of work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I love that. I love that the fail whale, the image of the image of failure is a whale, a real creature. And the image of success is the Loch Ness monster, a not real creature. I don't know what that says philosophically, but I love it. Uh, in September 2013, a startup called Topsy offered a searchable archive of Twitter's entire history, which at that time already consisted of more than 425 billion Oof. tweets. So I tried this out actually before the podcast. I went to Topsy and I started searching my Twitter feed because, you know, <laughs> I'm an egomaniac. So I, I did my search. <laughs> However, um, mine didn't go back to the earliest huh. tweets, actually. It was it was pretty far into my tweets. It was maybe a year or two into my tweets. However, uh, that being said, you can go to Twitter. If you go to Twitter and you choose the settings on the web-based uh, uh, Twitter, if you go to their actual web page. The actual web, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Use the settings on that. You can uh, request an archive of all the tweets you have ever sent. They will send it to you in a spreadsheet format. They'll actually send you a link where you can download it in spreadsheet format. And so I was able to do that and look back on uh, my Twitter messages. Uh, so, yeah, November 7th, big day for Twitter. Big uh, day. Yeah, yeah. They held their um, their IPO, their initial public offering. Yeah. So uh, their initial uh, offering price was $26 per share when the market actually opened. 
because offer price and opening price are not the same thing. Uh-huh. The opening price was at $45.10 per share. Not bad. Uh, not that, not bad. Although by the end of the first day of trading, it was at $44.90. So not as high as the opening price was. Oh, but that's, that's not a bad drop at all. No, and it was still much higher than the offer price of $26. So the increase from the offer price was 73%. And it raised about $1.8 billion. Now, keep in mind, this is a company that was originally started as a $5 million startup. Yeah, that was kind of taken on as a discard almost. Yeah, so this is where you have all those investors who felt, who who had sold see, back their shares. I can see why there's some bad blood about yeah. the decision. Yeah, there, there could be some people who at least feel like, I wish I had put up more of a fight and said, no, no, let me support this new thing you are doing. I, I still feel like like Obvious Corp can't be anything other than a terrific joke. I mean, yeah, like, like, like uh, Williams just trolled all the investors. <laughs> I mean... I don't know the man, uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it one way or the other. But it <laughs> it it is a, certainly an appealing idea. Uh, speaking of some of those initial investors and creators, yeah, December 2013, Jack Dorsey becomes a member of the board of directors for a little company called Disney. Oh, you know you have made it when Disney has you on their board of directors. Yeah. I mean, like Steve Jobs was on that board for a while. I mean, these like some of the top names. And it's odd to think in a way it's odd to think of people from the Silicon Valley field becoming members of the board of directors. But Disney's got a history with that. Uh, so, yeah, pretty phenomenal stuff. And then getting up to near the present day, we're recording this in early February, and uh, on, February 10th, 2014. Yep. And on February 6th, 2014. Twitter shares dropped 20.8% in value after the company revealed that it was having trouble increasing the size of its user base and that it didn't grow as quickly as in previous uh, quarters. So they said that they had only a 5% increase in users and in general, people were spending less time looking at their Twitter feeds. So that made, even though they were profitable, or at least they were making more revenue than before, uh, they th- this kind of decrease in um in in fresh user- blood yeah and and just just the the user's experience meant that some shareholders were starting to feel a little uneasy about Back the company off a little bit mm-hmm. yeah so shares were trading at $52.23 after the drop so i mean it's still higher than what that initial price was earlier back in 2013 yeah but it uh, you know the at the height of twitter's uh trading it was much more than that. So uh, we're still kind of watching what's happening here. I mean, obviously, that was one quarter and things can change quarter to quarter. Sometimes, oh, of course, sometimes behaviors change in unpredictable ways. And then, you know, the most recent quarter has stuff like the Super Bowl, which had a lot of Twitter uh, activity around it. We've got oh, we've the, also got all of the um, award seasons. Yeah. I mean, it's so a, that's going to that's I mean, be crazy. Sing, singular award season, but awards shows. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to have things like uh, all the Oscars and Emmys and stuff like that all get tweeted all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, and then South by Southwest. So you might say that the end of the year, once the year starts winding down, it tends to be quiet anyway, unless something major happens in the news. But then the beginning of the following year tends to get pick up. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. because you start seeing some of those events happen. CES happening in January. Yeah. Like it's just that the it, I would say the front half of the year tends to be more heavily loaded. 
uh, unless the back half of your year happens to have a few uh, major revolutions you know <laughs> that happen throughout the world that yeah. can sometimes you know. oh certainly um you know i i don't know i think that the general social media sphere is going to change a lot over possibly the next year i mean you know it's, it's continually in flux mm. as people join and and leave social networks but this is this is an interesting time for these for these two giants twitter and facebook which really got their starts kind of at the same time and yeah are starting to mature in a way that is kind of a turn up to that that young base of users that are so attractive. Yeah, it's interesting that I I've I've heard uh, although I don't have any research in front of me, so it may be that I'm I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I remember hearing that the trend was that younger users were trending more toward Twitter and less toward Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. Which is weird because it was just a couple of years ago it was exactly the opposite, right? The average age of someone using Twitter was in their 30s and the average age of someone using Facebook was a little younger. And now it's starting to shift as young people move toward Twitter and this short messaging service style of communication. I think I think part of the problem with Facebook is that as as that that Facebook group got older, as more adults started saying, hey, what's this thing all these kids are doing and then got on it and then their kids went, oh, my parents are on here. I don't want right. to be here anymore. Well, yeah, when you think about it, the younger generation that's coming into using social media, they're following the previous generation. So now it just looks like it's a bunch of old people on that. And they're like, why do I want to join the old person club? Sure. Um, and the reason is we have cookies. Yeah. We make the money so we can buy the cookies. Uh-huh. So that's why you want to join. Get off my lawn. All right, so uh, that kind of wraps up the Twitter story part two. I hope you guys enjoyed this this look at a company that a lot of us use but maybe not know that much about. Um, now, if you have any suggestions for future topics of tech stuff, whether it's another company or technology or just something technology-related that you've always wanted to hear us tackle, let us know. Send us a, a message on email. You can send that to techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on social networks. We're on Tumblr, we're on Facebook, and we're on this funny little thing called Twitter. Crazy. And all three of those, we use the handle techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.